I'm going to recap what we've been learning in Daniel. I've enjoyed doing this Bible study, but it's always a, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, a challenge to bring it through the New Testament filter. Because everything in the Old Testament exists to point the way to the New Testament. So it's important to say, what do we leave behind in Daniel, and what do we carry through the lens of the cross? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What do we carry through to the lens of the cross? But to recap, what we've learned, and Miss Juliana is handing out a lovely prize book. It's for our handwriting on the wall assignment, Janet. Do you like how I tied that in? Yay! All right, hang with me, people. We learned that Daniel is in exile from Israel. He was about 16 years old when he was exiled over to Babylon. We know that in chapter 1, he remained undefiled by the king's food. Remember that with me? Chapter 2, he um, gave the interpretation for the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. In chapter 3, remember the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And in chapter 4, we have another dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has, and Daniel again interprets that for him. What was the, what was the cool thing we learned about chapter 4? Somebody tell me. Um, chapter 4 was when King Nebuchadnezzar had the dream about the tree and then the stump and how he went crazy for seven years. Yeah, but what was the one thing that I all stumped you with on chapter 4? That you're like, I never knew that. What was it, Bob? Cha King Nebuchadnezzar is the only Gentile that has written a chapter of the Bible. Stick that in your brains. How interesting. You missed it, Chris. That was a great sermon. So now we come to chapter 5. And this is going to be a different ruler. His name is Belshazzar, which is funny because Daniel's Persian or Babylonian name is Belshazzar. So we're going to do a little bit of a contrast between these two men. But Belshazzar is now on the throne. He's actually some kind of descendant from Nebuchadnezzar. The, the time lapse between chapter 4 and chapter 5 is about 25 years. All right? Nebuchadnezzar has died, and there's been various rulers that have taken over since his death, but never been as successful as him. In fact, a couple of them were little kids that got right away. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. A crazy person? Yeah, I don't know. Isn't that weird? What do we call that, Janet? What was the name for that? Lycanthropy. That's where werewolves came from, probably. The idea of werewolves. Yeah, I don't know who ruled while he was seven years um, like that. Maybe his cabinet or something. Yeah. Maybe they all like locked him up and pretended he was okay. I don't know. But anyway, to chapter 5. Now we've got a, des a descendant on the throne. He's actually a co-regent. Another, um, another man, the, the other ruler, the co-regent, lives in a different part of Babylon. And so this ruler, Belshazzar, 
is the one who is now ruling what's left of Babylon. And note to remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the first king of Babylon. Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon. This chapter 5 is where we see the downfall of the Babylon empire. Okay? So, what, and then let me just give you a little more background. What's going on as well is the um, Persians and the Medes are surrounding the city of Babylon to take siege. They're, they've actually um, dammed up the Euphrates River. The way Babylon, the city was created was a big moat around the um, city. The Euphrates River fed into doing was they were um, damming up the river so they could slip underneath the city wall and take, take the palace. Okay, so that's the setting of chapter 5. What would you, if you were the king and you knew that all these people were surrounding your city and were about to, to come and get you, what would you be doing? You would give up. You would be figuring out a way to have good terms with somebody. What else would you be doing? Praying. I just mean as a person. Suppose you're a king and you're about to be conquered by a really vast army. What would you be doing? Maybe figuring your escape plan. Maybe you'd be, I don't know, walling yourself up. Maybe you'd be taking cyanide. Who knows what you'd be doing, right? Okay. So that's not what King Belshazzar decides to do. Let's read what he decides to do, knowing this is happening. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. I think that'd be the last thing I would do, is give a great banquet. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, side note, there's no such thing as father in Hebrew or Aramaic or grandfather, so they use the word father, and it could mean forefather, it could mean grandfather, it can mean relative. Just FYI. Nebuchadnezzar, had, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of the God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. 
Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So here's what we've got going on. The king is about to be sacked. The city is about to be sacked, and he decides to throw a party. Let's have a party for a 1,000 people. That sounds reasonable, right? It sounds really strange to me, but apparently that was something that he felt he needed to do was to have a party for a 1,000 people. The thing that he did, which was really not good, there's going to be three main things that Belshazzar fails in here, his, his three sins, if you will. The second thing that he does, the first thing he does is he has this party, which is crazy, which is, which is going on when he's about to be taken over. The second thing is, is he's like, you know, there were some holy objects that my father took from the temple in Jerusalem. Let's bring them out. Let's drink out of these holy, sacred objects. And, oh, on top of that, let's also worship our gods using these goblets and chalices and, and silverware or whatever they had conquered or gotten from that, from that temple. So here we've got a man who is, there's three things that, that Daniel is going to have problems with when Daniel comes to do this interpretation. The first one is Belshazzar forgot what Nebuchadnezzar went through. He forgot about the seven years that Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. He forgot about Nebuchadnezzar um, having this dream of the, of the statue, the head of gold, the, sil- the breastplate of silver, the legs of iron, or whatever that was, the, the statue. All these things were known to Belshazzar, but he conveniently forgot about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he went forward in pride and arrogance. That was his, that was his first sin. It was, the, it was the sin of, it's not a sin of ignorance. It's a sin of deliberately closing your mind when you should know better. Does that make sense? You should know better, but you decide to turn away from it and do your own thing. That's the first problem that Belshazzar is dealing with. The second one is, what'd you say? Do we all do that? Yes, like rebellion. The second thing is, is he blasphemes the Lord. He blasphemes the Lord by getting out the holy articles from the temple. Now, remember, when kings went in and conquered, what they were always trying to do, because there were so many idols back in the land, is they're trying to say, we won because our God is bigger than your God. And the way that they would prove that is they would get all the holy and they would bring them and they would desecrate them or they would store them and own them, basically to um, demonstrate their God's power over your God. All right. When armies went out into battle, they carried their idols in front of them as banners, as um, deities to show how powerful the army was. Does that make sense? In some ways, it's a kind of a precursor to the way we carry our out front, something like that, or a banner. If anyone watches Lord <laughs> Game of Thrones, the banners that they carry, <laughs> yeah, um, it would be like that, right? To say, this is my banner, this is, 
This is what we stand for. This is what we worship. That's why Nebuchadnezzar had these, gold, these articles in his treasury. It was blasphemy for Belshazzar to actually bring them out and use them. That was, that was blasphemy. The third thing that was really bad was idolatry. Now they used those, those articles to worship their own gods. So those are three things that Daniel's going to have a problem with, with Belshazzar. And so what does Daniel say? In verse 18, O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Sin number one. It's the sin, they call it the sin against knowledge, sin of rebellion against knowledge. You know better, but you do it anyway. The second one is pride, the sin of blasphemy. Verses 22 through 23a. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And the third is a sinful lifestyle or, or the sin of idolatry. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which can, you cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, many, many tekel parson. This is what the words mean, many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So different from Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream about becoming a beast and having seven years of insanity, he was given a year. Daniel said, repent. Perhaps this won't happen. And it took one year for it to happen. God gave, Dan God gave Nebuchadnezzar one year to come to his senses. He didn't, but he gave him a year. This time, God's like, nope. Tonight, your country is divided. Tonight, you lose Babylon. And that very night, he was killed. That very night. I think what we see in this perspective is the theme that's constant through Daniel, which is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over the nations, over the rulers, and over everybody. You, you're not going to get away with the pride, arrogance, idolatry. This is a picture of Daniel, when you look at the first couple chapters of Daniel and then the last chapters of Daniel, which are eschatology, the theme of Daniel, believe it or not, I hate to say it, one of the themes is judgment. One of the themes is judgment. Do you know that the name Daniel in the Hebrew means God will judge? Isn't that so interesting? And here is Daniel, a prophet, actually bringing, bringing prophetic um, revelation in the last part of his book about the times but then so much involved in the judgment of the nations at that time in fact Babylon was the greatest nation 
the world had ever seen. And this book shows that God is sovereign over it all. Now, that's the Old Testament. Um, that's one of the Old Testament things that we need to take away, right? But one thing I think as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers, we have to say to ourselves, what is the New Testament message from Daniel? We have an Old Testament message, which is still value, still valuable, but we're going to take Daniel and we're going to put it through the lens of the cross and what comes out on the other side. What are the things that we need to um, take away besides just judgment? And I'm not saying judgment's not wrong. I'm not saying that's something that we don't take seriously, but I want to go a little bit deeper than just that theme. Is that fair? And I want to talk about the life of Daniel. So I think there's a make between Daniel and Belshazzar. It's interesting that their names are so close. Belshazzar is the king. Belshazzar is his name. Isn't that interesting? Let's look at the two different, let's just contrast different men. So we talked about Daniel, exiled as a teenager from his native land. Do you know that when this happened, when he actually came to the king at Belshazzar, he was 80 years old. He was 80 years old. He had lived almost his whole life in exile. In fact, he dies, dies in exile. But there were 25 years from chapter 4 to chapter 5 where we don't know what happened to Daniel. We don't know if he fell out of favor. We don't know if he was still over the courts of the astrologers. But what we know is that the queen remembered that he was really smart, and she had her son or her grandson call for him and say, go to this, listen to what this man has to say. He's really smart. At the age of 80, he was restored back to incredible influence with the king. We know that when Darius, if we go back more into Daniel, when Darius became king, that Daniel was one of the governors over all of the, um, the area at 80 years of age. Bob, how old are you? So in seven years, Bob, I look to see you being a governor over a bunch of, a lot of people, all right, with your wisdom and your discernment and your interpretation of dreams. <laughs> My point about this is Daniel <laughs> probably didn't ask to be exiled, probably didn't ask for his life. He wasn't able to be married. He was in the service of a foreign king. Um, he was probably ridiculed and ostracized because of what he believed. We know that in chapter, if we go to the next chapter, that actually the um, other wise men and soothsayers tried to, that's where he went to the, into the lion's den. They tried to get him killed because they did not like him. So we know that Daniel probably suffered persecution for what he believed. We know his friends did because they got flown, thrown into a fiery furnace. But here we have Daniel at age 80, when the king says, listen, I'll give you, I'll give you, you'll be the number three ruler. You'll have all those incredible things. And Daniel's like, keep your stuff. I don't want it. Besides, you're, you're about to go. What can you give me? You know, he says, I don't want your stuff. And he immediately told him what the interpretation was. If you remember in chapter two and chapter four, Daniel had to take a little bit of time and figure out what he was going to say. He was a little bit more hesitant. But by the age of 80, he was like, yeah, I'm letting it, I'm letting it letting it fly. I, I really don't care anymore. Here's what's going on. You've been judged, found wanting, and your kingdom's been taken away from you. 
What we find in Daniel is a man of incredible fearlessness and courage. He's humble. He, you know, opposite, set contrast to Belshazzar, who is prideful and who's being judged for his arrogance. We've got a man who's humble, who has served God his whole life, continues to serve God. He serves the, the um, ruler after Belshazzar until he dies. He dies at like age 90 in a foreign land, never goes back to Israel. But he's a man of incredible courage because the difference between Daniel and Belshazzar is that Daniel does, fears God and not man. Belshazzar fears man and not God. You know, I was trying to figure out why would somebody give a party for a thousand people on the eve of your defeat or at the very least when things look super bad outside? Why would you do that? The only thing I can imagine is that you want to distract yourself from your reality so much that you're just like, hey, let's just party till we go, right? Or maybe if I have all my friends around me, it will distract me from the reality of my situation and I won't have to face who I am or who I've become. I was just trying to think, trying to get inside of his head. But I think the main difference between Belshazzar and Daniel is that Daniel feared God and did not fear man. He's like, I'm going down loving the Lord and serving the Lord no matter what. Right? I think that's the message that we take in our New Testament approach. You know, God still judges. I had to really pray about this a lot because it's such a touchy situation. We know that for Christians, there is therefore now no condemnation. But I'm here tell you judgment from the Lord has been stayed but not prevented there is a judgment day there will be a judgment day for everybody so I'm not here to say that judgment doesn't apply and I'm not here to say that we're not going to reap consequences for our behavior especially if we have the sin of um, knowing better or blasphemy or idolatry there's consequences for that because God is sovereign that Old Testament theme is we can take to the bank. God is sovereign. But there's something else I want us to think about, and I want us to think about the areas of where we, because we're called to be Daniels. We're not called to be Belshazzars. We're called to be Daniels. Jesus called Daniel a great prophet. Do you know that there was not one negative thing said about Daniel? You know how, like, David has his Bathsheba, and all these different people have their kind of their weaknesses, and they're like, forefathers instead of that. Daniel doesn't have any of that. There's nothing written about Daniel that talks about a weakness or a, you know, something that he fell in. He, he's represented as very pure. Isn't that interesting? And so my question to you guys is, how do we live a life like a Daniel where we are not corrupted by the world? Because he was not corrupted by the world. We're humble and we fear God and not man. Because when you fear man, you live for man's approval, and you don't live for God's approval. And Daniel lived for God's approval. I would say that Belshazzar lived for man's approval. That's why he had to party so much.